you know, kids, and it sounds like your daughter, you know, would, would really do great in an environment much more like that. Yeah, and that's ultimately what we were able to find for her. But it, it just really has, you know, was a shame because again, for a time we were in Fairfax County in Northern Virginia, so many resources. Um, but but again, those resources were just not geared towards what our daughter needed. And so having to leave that and find other solutions, uh, you know, is hard for any family uh, because it takes a lot of time and effort and research, and you, you very much can feel like you're alone. And so again, having having something like the educational savings accounts in West Virginia is, is just such a support for families to feel that there are options, there are opportunities, there's something else other than just what you're trying when you know that is not working. Americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so. This is American Potential. And here's your host, Jeff Crank. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of American Potential. You are making this show literally take off, and I'm just so proud. You know, we're 11 months into the show. We started February 1st of 2023, and amazingly, if you take the downloads and video views on the internet, guess what our number is? 12 and a half million downloads and video views. 12 and a half. This is 12.3 million downloads and video views between February 1st and and the end of the year. So in 11 months, that's what we had. And it's just grown exponentially, 3.3 million just in December. So that's how quickly it's growing. It's just lightning fast. And that's all because of you listening and watching this program. And I, I you know, your fascination, your intrigue, to hear these great stories of people breaking government-imposed barriers. That's what's making this successful. So thanks to you uh, for doing that. If you've got feedback on the show, send it to jeff at americanpotential.com. I'd love to hear your feedback, uh, your comments, your thoughts. If you got great guest ideas, I'd love to hear that as well. Well, listen, we've talked a lot about ESAs and education on this podcast over this last 11 months, because it's one of the things that's so empowering across America right now is educational freedom uh, for kids in K through 12 education. And we've talked about that so many times, done so many shows, highlighted so many great stories and examples from around the country, how important it is to have students in the learning environment that works best for them. We've had guests on before to talk about how switching a student's learning environment helped them start to thrive. And some of these students got that opportunity because their state passed something called an education saving account, savings account. Now, today we're going to share another success story of how one student in West Virginia is using the Hope Scholarship, which we've highlighted on this show before, to attend a school that's helping her and the way she learns best. Now, an interesting part of this story is that her mom is a big supporter of public schools. But her mom saw how having one of her daughters in a private school helped give her the tools she needed to be successful. It's truly learning that is tailored to the child. Now, our guest today is the father of the Hope Scholarship student, and I want to welcome Tristan Levitt to the show. Tristan, thanks for being with us. How are you? Great. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. 
Yeah, you bet. I want to talk to you quickly about West Virginia uh, as a state because West Virginia, we were just talking about this before we started the interview. West Virginia has seen a transformation. Like it's the policies that have been implemented, uh, the, the, the freedom oriented policies that have been implemented are just incredible. And it's really transformed what used to be a state, uh, one controlled, you know, really controlled by Democrats to one controlled by Republicans. That's certainly a change that's happened. But, but, but more important than that, right? Much more important than that is the opportunity, economic opportunity, educational opportunity for the citizens of West Virginia. And I'd love to hear your kind of thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. So West Virginia has been a, been a tough state educationally for a lot of years. And there are a lot of factors that go into that. It's a state where um, a lot of, you know, it's just it's a state with high poverty levels. It's a state that, especially during the opioid epidemic, has been particularly hard hit um, here over the over the 2010s, and especially with the departure of so much of the coal industry. And so um, there are a lot of factors that have that have contributed to some of the challenges to the state's educational landscape. But um, since, uh, you know, there was a change in the legislature, there have been a lot of of new uh, policies tried in the last eight years or so. And it's really remarkable to see the impact that they've had. So the Hope Scholarship, um, following other changes in the state, the Hope Scholarship was just passed uh, a year ago and um, or sorry, two years ago now. Um, And it's really had this fascinating impact on the state where you've always had a large percentage of homeschoolers, but we've seen a a lot of micro schools popping up, able to benefit directly just from these funds. and, and there's just this enthusiasm about what what this can mean for the state as you experiment with these new things and see people, you know, again, just applying different approaches. So it's really an exciting time for the state um, and and really a wonderful time to be able to try and, and continue to pursue educational policies that will really benefit the, the kids here, because that's what we all care about. Right. West Virginia, yeah. above all else, needs a workforce that can compete with other states. So many of the kids graduating here, including my wife, when she graduated high school, left um, to go elsewhere uh, for school and then work-wise. And so, you know, most of her friends have left the state. And so coming back here, we have not been here during her whole adult life, but coming back here and just seeing what a, what a great chance there is to attract people back to West Virginia, both for economic opportunity, but also along with that, for for education that will you know that will be good enough for those that are coming back and also benefit a, a future generation that can stay here and have good jobs here and have the education they need to succeed right well and what what we see in West Virginia is revolutionary really uh but I'll tell you it's an exciting time around America right now for educational freedom and we're finally I think as a country waking up to uh fixing a system that we've had for for a century over well over a century of, of K through 12 education and, and really tailoring it to kids. Right. And so it's just, it's, it's remarkable what we're, we're doing. We've highlighted some amazing stories here where moms have just kind of come together and formed a school or a a kind of a homeschooling co-op or, you know, and, and again, it may not work for every kid, but it works for their kids. And that's, what's important and so we're getting away from this one size fits all kind of cookie cutter approach that we've always taken to education. And we're moving towards, you know, individuals, which is, man, that's what America is about as individuals. It's, it's not about the collective and making sure 
that that everybody is the same. It's about the individuality of it. And so that's what I really love about it. Now, I want to talk to you about it. And I'm anxious to hear this because as I talk about individuality, you and your wife, you have five kids. So tell me what it's like to have a full house of five kids running around. They're a huge blessing, of course, but it's busy. Uh, the oldest <laughs> is a junior in sure. high school and uh, the youngest is in kindergarten this year. And all of them are are just a lot of fun. They're all they all have different activities they're involved in. They all have different interests, different passions. And so my wife and I both coming from large families ourselves. I'm the oldest of seven and she's one of five. Um, we've tried everything that we can to help help make sure that whatever interests they have, that they can pursue those. And, uh, and it's good. They, you know, like any, like any, uh, group of individuals, right? There's a lot of differences between them, but seeing them work together, seeing them, um, cooperate and support one another is really, really a wonderful thing. And of course, as, as you would know, and as any parent knows, no matter what you do in your life, you know, sometimes at work, things go great. Sometimes things go not so great. You may have screwed things up really bad, but when you come home, your kids don't care. They are just so happy daddy's home. And so it's really by far the most rewarding thing I've done in my life. And I'm sure that you, you know, I have two kids my, myself. Uh, I was the, in my family growing up, there were five kids, just like your family, your, your kids. Uh, kids are different, right? And that's what's so amazing about it and how we've kind of always approached education is we treated all kids the same. But anybody who has more than one kid knows that kids are different. I mean, they're all very different. And uh, I mean, have you found that with your kids? Not only just their their personalities are different, but their learning, both their skills and the way in which they learn is very different, I would assume. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because I'm not sure that I appreciated this as much initially. My, our oldest of the five is a, is a son, then there's four girls. And he looked like me as a little kid. And we, you know, a lot of similarities, but as he got older, you know, I, it was, it would be easy for me to take for granted that he'd have the same interest. And of course he didn't. And same in terms of his interest in learning and how he approaches it. And that's been the case for each of our kids. Um, and it can also be hard because of course, even between them, right? After, after him, the next are two girls who are about, um, a year and a half apart, a little, little more than that. And, um, the competition between them sometimes can be really difficult, right? Because, you know, they, they are so different. And so they just have different strengths. And so, you know, one goes into a gifted program, the other, the other feels bad if they get in or, or if they don't get in right or just so close. And, but it's just so, so clear that they all have different strengths, they all have different weaknesses. And so that's just been such a priority for us in our house is to figure out what they are most interested in and what their strengths are and, and to meet those, including in their education, because we want them to, we want them to be valued and we want their individual strengths to be brought out so they can be as successful and as confident in life as possible. You know, uh, you mentioned your son looking like you. My son looked like me too. He's 25 now, but when he was eight, somebody came up to him and said, Hey, you know, you look just like your dad. And you know what he said, Tristan? He said, Yeah, I know, but there's still time to grow out of it. I mean, <laughs> I love kids. I really do. Um, and I love my son. But anyway, hey, um, now you and your wife, you have different opinions, right? When it comes to school choice. So I'd love to hear where do those tell me your opinion versus your wife's opinion on school choice and, and educational freedom, as I like to refer to it. But where do those opinions come from? Sure. So I I had a very um I guess ideological, that's kind of a, a bad word in a sense, but maybe just just in, literally in terms of just focused on ideas, right? And so the whole time I was growing up, I've always been interested in politics. Um, I always you know, followed news closely. And so as, a, as kind of a child of the 90s, right? Um, school choice was such a big 
issue around the country. And I followed that closely. Um, both my wife and I are products of public school. And so it was interesting, though, as we we dated and met, right, that she has just she's much more pragmatic about a lot of things, whereas I would say, well, the theory would be if you do X and Y and Z, you know, then the best way to get those outcomes, right, is to start with A and B and C. And um, she had a very different experience in part because she grew up here in Charleston, West Virginia. And the two main high schools in this area, um, one of them is much more racially diverse. There is a lot more socioeconomic diversity here. Um, and of course, just, you know, not just here and kind of the, although small, but what, what, what people here might call the inner city of Charleston. Again, it's nothing in comparison to bigger cities, but, um, versus also poverty that you see kind of around the state. And so that really shaped how she views the opportunities that people have and, and her recognition that, you know, even if certain policies are available to, to the general population, some kids aren't going to have parents at home to help them recognize those or take advantage of them. So those two different, kind of worldviews, um, you know, we both very much align on on wanting to see families be as prosperous as possible, on wanting to see people succeed, um, you know, and and really just loving people and, and wanting to help people however we can. And so um, as it's related to education, that's always been kind of a, an interesting discussion point for us, because, again, I, I really would just say school choice. And and again, that that freedom for families to meet their needs. Right. No one else can know their needs better. And so I very much want to say, well, you know, from your your local school board, you know, you're beginning with your school administration, you know, your teachers, your school administration, your local school board, your state uh, school apparatus, none of them are going to know your child better than you will. And my wife would agree with that. But again, in terms of how you meet those needs of the children, she's very concerned about making sure that no one is left out and that, um, you know, that um, even people that come from from backgrounds that might make it harder for them to benefit from certain programs or, or, you know, even to succeed in a lot of ways that, that someone is looking out for them. And so that's really been kind of the, the discussion point in our home for many, many years. And isn't it ironic though, that, um, and, and, and I think everybody, this is a point by which a lot of people maybe disagree, but to me, the people who are hurt the most when you don't have educational freedom are the people who can least afford it. Right. Because if, if you're, you know, if you're the daughter of the governor, if you're the daughter of, you know, the, the, the CEO of a company or you're the son of, you know, some, some business owner somewhere, you might have the resources to go get the education that your family wants for you. And that's going to be great. But if you're poor, you're not going to get that. And, and so the system that we have doesn't take care of those people. Uh, and they are the ones that are being left behind in my view. Any thoughts on that? I think that's right. And, and, and again, striking the, the balance. I don't know if that's the right phrase, but, but really being comprehensive in how you approach it is important. Like I said, I'm the oldest of seven kids and my dad did drywall. My mom was home raising us children. So money was always tight in our home. And so we never would have been able to afford anything like private school. Um, and not that there were many around in, in the state where I grew up anyway, but, um, you know, so something like what West Virginia has developed or educational savings accounts, that that is such a such a you know there's such an element of freedom of having that access to those funds and being able to pursue those things that like you say others much more privileged might only benefit from um i think i think you know wise policymakers look at that and say what else do we need to do okay we can get someone say 80% of the way there 
what are the other impediments to someone still further being able to pursue these educational choices and implement that? And so I, I do think that's that's um, important to recognize. But when you do that, when you when you take it all the way, um, not just with half measures, but but making it so that people can can get the education that's best for them, that families most uh, desire. I think there's so much freedom in that and so much opportunity for individual growth. And that's what it's all about, obviously. At the end of the day, every single person in school is going to go on and lead a life that, that will be markedly different from the person sitting next to them. And so to, to try and just mass process them, I think really does kids a disadvantage because there's so much potential in each of those children. Yeah, it's such a, it's such a great way to put it. So you, let's talk about your own personal situation. Your daughter sort of started struggling with learning. And let's talk about that. When did you kind of start noticing her struggle? So it's it's kind of evolved, but from a very early age, it was clear that she wasn't very verbal. The, her, her three older siblings all started talking at very early ages, uh, early and often. They talked so much, right? And so it was really clear that she was an outlier. And um, that, that, you know, um, that doesn't necessarily mean anything, you know, it, it was hard to know what to take away from that. But so um, each of our other kids, when we lived in Northern Virginia, there was a program in the local school system that was for a pre preschool program. And the idea, the intent was to take um, uh, children with just normal learning abilities and, and to pair them. So it was kind of 50% that and then 50% children with, with special needs and learning disabilities. And, and uh, two of our older daughters had been in that program. So Mac McKinley uh, likes to go by Mac. She was, she's a, our fourth child and she um, started that program and she, she really enjoyed it as far, you know, again, not super verbal, but um, you know, there was another one of the other children in the class that just could not communicate at all. He was um, he was in a, a walker and it just had very limited mobility. And she just it was so sweet to see how every morning she would run up and hug him. She was always there to try and help him. But still pretty quickly on her teacher came to us and said, she's actually not progressing with this academic stuff we're doing. Emotionally, she was very in tune. Um, and, and, you know, again, able to play fine with the other children, but she wasn't progressing. And so we, we realized at that point that there was more to it than just the delayed speech. And so we started receiving speech therapy. Um, because of that, we had to take her out of that program. She wasn't eligible to be one of the kind of mentor students. And so it, it just really progressed, um, one step at a time, all very slowly. The speech therapist first came and said, you know, in part, it was because of her, because of her inability to communicate that she was the most independent child she'd ever seen. The speech therapist told us, we thought, oh, that explains why she you know, climbs up on counters and, and does X, Y, and Z. She just, she doesn't know how to ask for what she wants. So she just does it. She was a doer. Um, but as, as things moved along, um, especially she got into kindergarten, um, it, it really became clear that she didn't, um, you know, it was hard on her as she got, kindergarten and then first grade, she could tell that she was not keeping up. And so it, it took a long time for us to get the testing, but eventually we, we, we tested her and we were able to learn that she had dyslexia and dysgraphia. She has executive function disorder and severe ADHD. But one of the things that's been kind of most unique is she has something called expressive, uh, expressive receptive communication disorder. And so it, it just meant that, you know, for instance, if a teacher were to, um, tell her, you know, show her a color and say, what color is this? She just could not recall her, her, the way that she learns information and short-term recall and retrieving that is all kind of, um, 
it's structured differently. But if it, you know, if, if a teacher would show her uh, a bunch of colors and say, which one is yellow? She had the right ones. So the information was there, but it was just a really, really difficult thing for her. And so getting that diagnosis and realizing what the struggles were, was good. But on the way there, she just had such a tank and self-esteem feeling like she was stupid, like she would just, you know, couldn't keep up with the other kids. And that was really heartbreaking for us to see. So um, it, it, it definitely has been a, a very unique journey for our family. We, we had a, we did an episode a while back where uh, some, some folks started a school for ADHD boys uh, that, that really catered to them and their learning style. And it was really remarkable. He was talking about the way in which so many of these boys came into their school and just flourished because kids with ADHD learn differently. He said, look, they don't learn in a classroom and they don't learn very well in a classroom. They learn great if you take them to the museum or to the zoo or to a factory to learn something or go out to a, you know, to a national park. Um, and he just talked about how great uh, these kids were and they were being left behind. And now they're really flourishing. And it really speaks to the fact that, you know, kids and it sounds like your daughter, you know, would, would really do great in an environment much more like that. Yeah. And that's ultimately what we were able to find for her. But it, it just really has, you know, was a shame because, again, for a time we were in Fairfax County in Northern Virginia, so many resources. Um, but but again, those resources were just not geared towards what our daughter needed. And so having to leave that and find other solutions, uh, you know, is hard for any family uh, because it takes a lot of time and effort and research and you, you very much can feel like you're alone. And so, again, having having something like the educational savings accounts in West Virginia is, is just such a support for families to feel that there are options, there are opportunities, there's something else other than just what you're trying when you know that is not working. Let, now, let me ask you, you were living in Virginia at the time. So what were your options while you were there? So there there was after after the first grade year, if I can get my chronology right here. Um, with that, it was toward the end of the first grade year that we, um, or it was, sorry, it was in the fall. So the beginning of her first grade year after kindergarten, it just clearly wasn't working well. Um, first grade, we, we got the diagnosis. And so we were able to find a school in Northern Virginia that was a private school and it was geared towards those with, uh, learning differences. And, and it really was amazing for her. Frankly, it's called the Oakwood school. We loved it. It was phenomenal. I, I could speak forever about how great it was. The real, the real difficulty for us was that we felt really called to move back to West Virginia. Uh, my job went remote, and we, you know, again, maybe, maybe in part stemming from that view of my wife's that just a good family can have such an impact. We really wanted to move back to this area, and she wanted our kids to go back to the same school that she schools she had gone to. You know, again, where there there was a lot of poverty, there were there were some definite struggles, and so the number one you know, wild card for us question was how, how could we take our daughter away from the school where she's thriving? Um, and what would that look like again? Would we be back in the stage where she's really struggling, not just academically, but with her self-esteem? And so we, we came to Charleston. We, we felt we were very prayerful, but we felt that the move was the right thing. And so we um, explored a lot of options. The summer that we moved, I drove her an hour away. Marshall University is a school in Huntington, West Virginia. And every day I would drive her an hour there for, for her dyslexia tutoring um, and then an hour back. And then once the school year started, we found someone who was here in town that could do that. But it still was about 30 minutes to get there after her school day was over and her ADHD medication had worn off. And she just was she just was not wanting to learn at that time. 
And so we, we learned midway through the school year um, that a local Montessori school offered this unique tutoring that she'd received during the school day. And so um, because that was available and the Hope Scholarship was available, that's, that's how we were able to piece things together for her to go to this really wonderful school. I had not been familiar with, with the Montessori method or education before this, but it is, it is so well suited for her to go at her pace, to not always be compared to her peers and just to be able to progress at the rate that makes the most sense for her. And that's, that's been a huge blessing in our family just made possible because of this Hope Scholarship, as they call it here in West Virginia. Now, before you moved to West Virginia, did you know much about the Hope Scholarship? Did you ever think you'd use the Hope Scholarship? I had learned about it, again, just because of my um, kind of political interest and and following West Virginia politics for a long time. I had seen when it was going through the legislature here, I was really excited about that because, again, it's just one of those things that states that adopt those policies, you know, not just benefit those that are in a state, but they attract other people. They attract outsiders to come and benefit from those, just like a tax cut that was passed year last year. And so I saw that and was very excited about it. I, I don't know that it really registered for me that it would make sense for us, for our family. Um, uh, you know, it, it, but once we, once we had made the decision to come here, um, you know, I, I think also the other question would be again, what, what options are there? So there are actually two Montessori schools here in Charleston and we toured the other one when we came and for for a variety of reasons it's less geared toward those with special needs um and so it seemed like that wasn't an option so so like many parents then we were initially in this this position of okay the hope scholarship's available but then what are what are the schooling options how would we use this and again now i have a better sense of all the various ways that that's happening some have taken the hope scholarship money to assist in homeschooling and that was more difficult for us because of the demands of my job um because of of trying to help our other four children and um, and also just something that it's, you know, my wife just would be the first to say um, she, she think would be really hard for her to homeschool. And so we feel like that wasn't an option. We didn't really know anything about micro schools at the time. Um, learning more now, that's that's such a fascinating area to me. And I've actually I'm on the board of a local micro school. And it's really cool to see what they're doing. Um, and then, of course, we'd love to see more other types of schools here. And of course, what my wife would really love to see is um, more perhaps programs, but even schools, charter schools, maybe through the public school system. So there would be more educational choices for, for students. But initially we, we thought that all that made sense was public school. And so it really clicked together that to realize there were other options, suddenly the Hope Scholarship became very relevant for us, but we had, we had to see those other options first and say, oh, this is the thing that could be good for our child, um, this other school. And then having identified that, how would we go about that? That's where the Hope Scholarship became so relevant and such a blessing. And how was the transition like for your daughter between schools? Did did that go fairly well? It did. Um, the way that because of the way that the Hope Scholarship was uh, implemented, those that were, um, you know, they they made some initial decisions so that it wasn't just available to everybody. It was initially only available to, to students who were coming from the public schools. So students that had already been, say, in this Montessori school initially weren't eligible. Um, I, I hope that will change because, again, I think that will benefit a lot of families. But so so it had to be kind of midway through the school year for us. And so, you know, there was some there was some, you know, transition jitters for her. And um, she really liked her teacher at the public school. She you know, again, they had gone above and beyond to accommodate her. And so maybe the hardest part of the hardest transition might have been for, for us as parents to go to the school and say, hey, you have bent over backwards for our daughter. And we are so grateful for that. 
we're still going to take her out because we think that this other thing will be better for her. But going to this, to the Montessori school, half of her peers also had dyslexia. So again, just those being surrounded by a similar community really was a benefit. And so she just pretty quickly started to, to, of course, appreciate that. I think she, Again, I said before that early on, you know, again, she certainly she's very emotionally developed, but there there is an element where I think that, um, again, being surrounded by other kids with ADHD and other things, you know, that that it was, it's a better fit, right, than than just all kids who don't have that. And so that was good for her. And and some of the other things they do are just so remarkable too. part of the routines of the day are to do these different chores. And so whereas she used to have a very difficult time, say, completing home chores like cleaning her bedroom because she just could not visualize. I mean, I think this is as much the expressive uh, receptive communication disorder, but, um, and, and AD, I think there's multiple things that play into it, but she couldn't visualize if I want a clean room, here's what I need to do. I need to get all the clothes off the floor. I need to take all the toys off the floor. I need to vacuum. The, the, it just was totally overwhelming to her. And so in her Montessori school to see where they do these different chores every single day at the end of the day, they also have a rabbit in the class. And so taking care of that is part of the chores, but it has really taught her so much independence, which is amazing to me to the point that she now can visualize just through practice. Okay. These are the steps I would need. And in some ways it's made her more independent than our other kids. It's funny, but the generation today, you know, our kids don't like to call on the phone. They just want to text their friends. If we go into a restaurant, they never want to be the one to order. That's like mortifying to them. And, and Mac loves that stuff, right? She loves to like, okay, I could do this. I can do this on the phone. I can call my friends. Literally when we go to the, to restaurants and even in the drive-thru, which does not really accommodate anyone other than the driver ordering, but she will say, can I please, please do it? And so we will roll down the back window so that she can lean out and order. And she just loves feeling that independence um, and, and just using those life skills that she's been learning in her Montessori school. So, I mean, you've seen a real transition, right? From how she was before, I guess, how she was learning, but also it seems like even like her emotional and and physical well-being before she went to this new school and now like it's just it's been transformational it sounds like it has been it has been and you know again one one part of that transformation was the confidence and and that was the benefit from going from public school to private school in virginia and and then her and then her confidence started to lag again here in west virginia in the public school and so one part of it is I guess, I guess there, one part of it is the academic confidence. Maybe I'll put it that way. Right. And then one part of it is just this overall kind of emotional resiliency and, um, and, and just confidence in not just in her learning abilities or her confidence in her willingness to read, but really just in, in all areas of her life. Um, and, and that to me is the thing that matters most, whether she, you know, I don't want to prejudge and this makes me a little emotional. Right. But, but it may never be the case that she's an amazing reader. I don't know. I would love if she was, I love books, you know, in our reading, in our home, we prize reading very much, um, whether that happens or not for her to be able to order off the menu or to read traffic signs is a dramatically different life from if she couldn't do those. And there was a period of time when the difficulties were so severe that we wondered if she would ever be able to do that. And so now I just don't have any, any worries about what her development will, will be like. She, she, again, she's such an emotive person. She's the first of our kids always to say thank you for anything. She shows more gratitude than the others. Um, and she, she just has these really, um, again, not just, not just, um, learning habits, but now these kind of life skills that I know are going to serve her so well throughout her life. And to, to that point, I mean, kids have, they, they just have, uh, different, 
advantages that that they have they have different skills and and things that they bring forward and she has her own right and you've you've been able to help her through this decision and the school has been able to help her find her her skill set find the way the things that she's good at right and uh you know there may be something she's not as good at may never be as good at but she's also found the things that make her flourish as a human being and that's awesome i mean that's so great so great to hear that. How about your other kids? How are your other kids doing in school? They're doing well. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I think the, the school system itself has been, you know, fine for them. Some of the other kind of non-tangibles have been interesting. So, you know, I will say that our, our kids, um, <laughs> I don't know if I should get into this, but moving here, one of the things that my son said the first week here was just, he said, dad, people care so much. People don't care what you're wearing or whatever else. And that was always a perpetual thing in Northern Virginia, right? There was just so much uh, judgment and you had to keep up with X, Y, and Z. And you had to have these, these shoes and these pants or whatever else. And so my kids have really just assimilated so well here. And we love the community, um, you know, both, both in school as well as just broadly, right? So they've all been able to participate in sports here in Charleston in a way that was, was, would have been way more competitive in in Northern Virginia. And um, I laugh when I look back because of the very first school open house for the middle school, um, these two really sweet girls came and approached me and my daughters. And I laugh now because they are my daughter's two best friends, right? Each of them for their age group. But at the time, these girls came up and said, would your girls want to play soccer? And my girls were so shy that they um, they didn't want to answer. They kind of leaned over like, dad, you, you tell her no, you tell them no which was a little silly, right? But, um, but the school year started after that. And I don't know, three weeks, a month into the year, my oldest daughter decided she did want to play soccer because all of her friends were doing it. And so she was able to join midway through the season and everyone was so accommodating. And so it's really just been an amazing experience for, for our kids, both in terms of, um, you know, again, just doing great academically, having really wonderful, caring teachers, um, and then also being able to get involved in, in extracurriculars and things outside of the classroom to really help them to grow and develop. So they, they've had a great experience. And again, we're, we're grateful for the public schools and for what they have um, done for our, our children. And one of the things that, that, you know, we're very interested in as a family is further ideas that can continue to, to improve public schools. But again, I think that competition with private schools and the access and again, just the freedom for families is such an important such an important part of that equation for any family. Yeah, it really is. Tristan, thank you for, I'm glad your kids are doing great. Sounds like they're all doing well and kind of thriving in the environment that's best for them. But thanks for sharing your story with us. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. Really appreciate it. You bet. Well, best of luck to you. And listen, this is what this fight is all about. I mean, uh, Tristan talking about, you know, his daughter, the, 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 the needs that she had within education, but also it sounds like his kids are all thriving. They're all different. That's what this is about. And that's what makes this such a, a battle worth engaging in uh, is this educational freedom fight. You know, we've done it the wrong way. We just have to admit that we did it in a cookie cutter approach. We had a manufacturing facility for kids. That's what we've done in K through 12 education in America. It was the wrong thing to do, but thankfully America's moving beyond that now and they're breaking they're breaking the mold and they're trying to figure out what works best. It may not work best for your kid, but remember your kid's different than other kids. And that's, what's important is to give parents and kids 
different options, get them in a situation where they're going to thrive. This is their future and we shouldn't hold them back from their future by catering to a system. Um, and so this is, uh, this is the battle of our day. I'll tell you on education and it's great. I think we're finally making tremendous headway, uh, in this area. Listen, Liberty and freedom. They're so easily taken for granted. Don't take liberty and freedom for granted. Go out there and defend liberty and freedom. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to American Potential. You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom and opportunity in their communities by visiting AmericanPotential.com.